Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Jillian. And I'm Grayson. And this episode is entitled, What's in a Name? Hashtag No Natural Disasters. In this special Emergency Preparedness Week episode, we're talking disaster just disaster because as we hope to convince you in this episode the term natural disaster is both technically incorrect and potentially damaging but why is that and what can we do about it to find out we'll be speaking with kevin blanchard about hashtag no natural disasters campaign which argues that changing the way we talk about disaster can also change minds all this and more on this episode of epic podcast current relevant canadian So my name is Kevin Blanchard. Um, I'm a, a senior disaster risk reduction uh, policy advisor, um, and I've got about 14 years experience within the sector, I think. Um, and my kind of role um, in, in most of those 14 years has been advising on policy around marginalized groups and how marginalized groups interact with disaster risk reduction policy and practice. And I also run the No Natural Disasters account. Sorry, that's probably an important point considering what we're going to be talking about today. So that is what we're here to talk about today. So what is the hashtag No Natural Disasters movement and how did it come to be? Yeah, so so really it's a, it's kind of the latest in a really long line of kind of actions and research and publications and, and and kind of engagement really around this idea that there are no natural disasters. And the the movement behind the No Natural Disasters campaign is really to try and get people who are in positions of power, whether that be through media, whether that's kind of in terms of government planning officials, you know, people who are in charge of housing developments, choosing where these housing developments are based. It's really trying to get them to understand that it's the actions that we take that turns a hazard into a disaster. You know, there's nothing natural about this. We choose to build our housing on a floodplain. And therefore, when that floods, that's not a natural occurrence. Fair enough, the flood itself will, will always happen. But the fact that that hazard then becomes a disaster because it's impacted on, you know, our society and our community and how we are able to function on a day to day basis. That's not natural. And that's really what the, the kind of the campaign is trying to kind of trying to call out. And at the moment, we're not really engaging too much with the general public, just because if Joe blogs on the street uses the term natural disaster, doesn't really have a major impact at the moment. What we're trying to do is get the people who, who are in charge of those decisions to start looking at their terminology and understanding, okay, well, how exactly is that natural? Like, you know, what decisions has nature taken to make that hazard become a disaster? Um, and that's kind of where we are at the moment. And that's what the campaign aims to do. Um, it's a really long campaign. Like it's so that this is the, the latest portion, kind of this kind of social media um, based uh, um, campaign really started in 2017. But the actual debate around the naturalness, for want of a better term, of disasters really goes back to about 1760, I think. Um, so a really, really long time. And it really started by this kind of this philosopher writing to one of his friends. And, and there was a big earthquake in, in Lisbon, in Portugal, back in the 1700s. And basically saying, you know, would this disaster have been as bad if we weren't building multi-storey buildings, if we didn't ha live in this densely populated city? And really questioning, you know, what, what part of this was natural? Um, so, so yeah, so it's a really long campaign, but what it is that we're doing on online and social media and in kind of this engagement work is, is really uh, quite new. 
Okay, so if we accept that disasters are socially constructed and that there is no such thing as a natural disaster, then what terminology should we be using? What's the end state of this campaign? Um, so our, our kind of campaign argues there, there really shouldn't be a need to say natural or man-made or, you know, whatever. It, it, the, the context of the wording should be relevant to the article. So, for example, if I'm writing about a flood, um, uh, that's impacted a city or a town. Um, it should be relatively obvious that that was a natural hazard that caused that. So the hazard itself is natural, but the disaster, obviously, as I've just mentioned, isn't. Whereas if we were talking about, I don't know, a factory explosion or a gas leak or something like that, that obviously then kind of would tend to be, you know, an industrial hazard or, or a kind of a human-focused hazard. So we tend to say, just use disaster. Like the context of the piece, the tweets, the you know blog posts, the podcast, whatever it is that you're talking about this particular disaster in, should clarify what type of disaster that is. There's no need to expand on it by adding extra words at the beginning. Just saying disaster is fine. So I certainly understand the need to be precise with language and to recast disasters as something that we can impact with our decisions. But I can hear the critics now. You know, isn't this just semantics? So why is this so important? Why is it more than just terminology? And what changes are you hoping to make at maybe even a societal level? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we get that that kind of levied at us all the time, like, oh, this is just semantics, it doesn't really matter. Well, it does matter, because if you think about, you know, policy officers, policymakers, if you think about people who are in charge of these decisions, planners, um, you know, uh, politicians, by using the term natural disaster, it really kind of shifts blame away from them, away from the decisions they're taking, and kind of moves this onto a natural process that we really have no control over. It's kind of, oh, yeah, you know, thousands of people die in a flood, but we really can't help it. We can't do anything about that. Well, we know that's not the case. You know, we've had multiple examples of cities building flood defences that have stopped deaths. You know, London being a primary, but that's where I'm based currently. You know, London in the 1950s, we had a really big, uh, all the way down the kind of the east coast of the UK, a really big tidal surge that coincided with really heavy rainfall. Um, and it killed, I think it was about 50 or 60 people. Since then, because we've implemented a number of different policy measures, we've built infrastructure, we've done, you know, a number of things, there haven't been um, that kind of mass scale casualty events based on flooding in the UK. So to kind of use natural disaster really kind of shifts that blame away from people who do have the power and they have the positions to be able to make those changes. Um, so what we're trying to do is really kind of argue that, you know, semantics, it's not really relevant kind of criticism. What we're saying is the, these decisions and this, this wording does have real impacts on where money's spent in preparedness, where money's spent on recovery, um, infrastructure build, policy development. All of this stuff really does matter. And by stopping the use of natural disaster as a term, we start to then explore, well, what is it that we're doing as a species to create these disasters, you know, to turn that hazard into a disaster. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to get at. You know, this isn't a semantic argument. This is, this is much more than that. This is much more about power and vulnerability and exposure and, and, and how all those things contribute on a kind of a modern day, you know, society where these decisions are tend to be taken by, um, you know, a very few uh, within society, but they have, you know, these wide ranging impacts on, on, on the rest of us. So it sounds like the term is really just the tip of the iceberg here. Where have you had success and where is there the most work still to be done? 
Yeah, I mean, even even if we just take the term natural disaster, like trying to change that has been a, an enormous challenge. Because if you think about it, like, you know, you open a newspaper, you know, look at a, a website, you know, a news website, there will be a, a mention of a natural disaster happening, you know, as in they have used the term natural disaster. So, you know, this this even just changing that one term is is a very long, drawn out process. I mean, in terms of successes, we have had, you know, some really uh, considerable successes. Uh, the United Nations Office for Disaster Risk Reduction really kind of got behind the campaign. You know, the, this is the kind of the, the organization with the, within the United Nations who are really charged with how society responds to disasters. And they are 100% behind the campaign. And, you know, they make sure that all of their literature, all of their policy guidance notes, et cetera, don't use natural disaster. So, you know, fantastic. Well done them. We've also had a number of uh, non-governmental organisations, NGOs, who have you know taken this message on, uh, to heart and kind of really adopted this new non-natural framing of these of these events. Shelterbox being, um, I'm not sure kind of how big Shelterbox is in Canada, but in the UK and certainly in the US, in parts of the US, you know they have a a really big kind of fundraising process. So you know they're a well-known organisation that have stopped using natural disasters. And then, you know, just that kind of groundswell, you know, we have, I think it's 5,500 followers on Twitter, which doesn't sound like a huge amount, particularly when you're kind of looking at, you know, other accounts that have hundreds of thousands. But actually that 5,000 plus count for our Twitter account is really all academics, all researchers, all policymakers, really the people we want to be engaged with this campaign, because you know, that's then going to start trickling down to members of the public, to other academics who are reading, you know, published pieces to, um, you know, reference within their work. So, you know, it's kind of this slow spread. So, you know, there, there are some really kind of tangible uh, impacts that we've had with the, you know, United Nations office and, and, and other NGOs. Um, but then there's kind of this more kind of discrete success that I think we're having you know, in kind of changing the terminology on a, a sectoral basis and, and, and really trying to get that discussion happening. Whether, whether or not we have people come back to us and say, actually, you know, we think uh, what you're doing is a waste of time, which we have had, we're still kind of trying to engage that, that audience and trying to build that discussion around what is it that you think is natural about this process. So you have had some success here. And I can say even in my short time in the field, I have seen this term used less and less, this idea of natural disasters. In fact, I think it's probably an indicator term uh, for people to perk up their ears a little bit and say, oh, you use the term natural disasters. I wonder if you actually know what it is you're talking about. So I think you are having some success. And I really like this idea of this being an, an indicator of a mindset or a paradigm shift within disaster management. For our listeners, who are emergency managers, what can they do to champion this effort? You know, it's really easy, I think. Uh, I mean, the, the, the obvious one is don't use natural disasters in your, in your work. Like, you know, if you're writing a, a policy piece or if you're writing a, you know, a briefing note, whatever it is that you're doing, and there is an opportunity to say natural disaster, think to yourself, do I need to include that? Is this really a natural event? Start to think about like understand from your own context, like, uh, you know, as emergency managers and, and other professionals within this sector, what is it that you think is natural about that? Um, and what policy decisions have made that natural hazard turn into a disaster? You know, 
And I think even that kind of really very basic level of considering where these kind of terms come from, I think is a really good start for a lot of people within this sector. Building on that, then, you know, I would recommend you go to our website. We have a whole kind of raft of tools and information and publications and research and peer-reviewed research as well around why this term is so misleading and so incorrect. And we have toolkits, you know, we have these pieces of pieces of information and, 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 you know, tools there that help you start to spread this message, whether that be on social media or whether that be via, you know, going into your workplace, you know, once we're all back in the workplace um, and, uh, you know, putting up posters or, you know, asking people to attend a lunch seminar where you explain the No Natural Disasters campaign and get people in your office to start thinking about this, this kind of idea and um, this campaign a bit more. So, I mean, there are a whole raft of things you can do, whether that's even just like sending out one tweet or something or, you know, a, a post on LinkedIn, wherever it may be that your, your kind of social media presence is felt the best or, or kind of the, the most. Um, you know, there, there are so many things that you can do. And even just having that kind of internal dialogue with yourself and trying to recognize why it is that you think certain things are natural disasters and actually trying to unpick is that really natural or is that more about what we have done as a species and what decisions have been made by policymakers and planners and politicians, etc.? Well, for our part, we will certainly help spread the word. But I'm wondering, are there any other terms or thought processes that are like this that are basically myths or misinformation when it comes to disasters? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole heap of them. Like, I mean, I, I would say kind of one of the, one of the worst culprits, and this is probably going to get me in, in, in trouble with some of my former colleagues and, and friends, is the insurance sector. Like the insurance sector, you know, you're talking earlier about act of God, you know, they really like that phrase. Like that's, that's kind of one of their, one of their key uh, terms within their sector. Um, and obviously that has, you know, uses for the insurance industry, you know, if they want to reject a claim and, um, you know, they, they can kind of apply this broad kind of almost like supernatural reason as to why this claim can't be paid. So I get that there's a, you know, there's, there's kind of a, a, a financial reason there. And obviously these, these policies, you know, the kind of the insurance sector dates back hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but they really are kind of one of our our targets for this year in terms of our engagement and our outreach because they do use lots and lots of um kind of problematic terms within this discussion around um you know hazards and how hazards impact on on society uh, maybe a broader one would be a, a kind of a climate disaster or, or sorry fast onset climate disaster so um i'm not sure whether you were there's a, a press, professor based out of ucl called um elan kelman He's, uh, recently launched last year i think it was towards the end of last year a really excellent book called Disasters by Choice. Um, and he's been kind of really trying to challenge the idea that, you know, these, these events are kind of fast onset or slow onset. Well, you know, if we take this understanding of no natural disasters, and actually these decisions are happening over centuries sometimes, like in terms of where is it that we build a city? You know, where do we make our developments? Well, that wasn't done in recent history. You know, London, for example, has been, you know, around for like over a thousand years. So, you know, these these are very, very long-term decision-making problems that cause disasters to occur because, you know, there's this whole 
um, kind of history behind the, the you know the, the the reason why we're based where we are and why we build in a certain way and you know lots of different things so the idea that there is these are these are kind of fast onset or sudden onset disasters there's a slightly problematic nature and obviously you know you can talk about sudden onset hazards earthquakes tornadoes etc yes absolutely but the disaster itself has been a long time in the making because you know regardless of what the hazard is you know if we had planned or we had made better policy decisions then that hazard would never really become a disaster or it'd be much less of a disaster than it is um so they're probably the two that kind of stick in stick in my mind uh kind of off the top of my head as you were speaking, there were so many recent examples of uh, disasters that had politicians speaking about the unknowable, unexpected, unprecedented, unpredictable nature of these hazards. And I think that's just not true anymore. You know, these are predictable hazards. But more than that, it speaks to the need to switch away from a hazard-centric understanding of disaster and more to a vulnerability-centric one, talking about the socially constructed vulnerabilities in disaster. I understand you've done some work in that realm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mentioned before around kind of how marginalized groups are kind of my area of expertise and kind of an area that I'm really passionate about. And, and a lot of the no natural disasters argument really kind of frames that really nicely because it does tend to be the top half a percent of society who are making these decisions for us, you know, these kind of big global multinational conglomerates who are deciding to build a certain type of house, um, you know, where they build it, what kind of infrastructure is invested in within that particular area, you know, it may well be politicians who are kind of pushing forward this kind of development idea in terms of wanting to build more houses because it looks great on, uh, you know, on their election manifestos, but actually, you know, they're not really giving any thought around, you know, the pressures that are being put on the natural environment, um, you know, that how they should be building these developments in, in areas that are prone to risks. So it really does come down to the idea of kind of, uh, a, a very small handful of people are making a huge number of risks for the rest of us. And this idea of vulnerability and exposure, you know, it's not going to be the richest in society and the, uh, uh, and the people who, you know, um, make these decisions who are the ones who are suffering. You know, we, we only need to look at recent examples like Hurricane Katrina. You know, where statistically, if you were an African-American uh, member of the society, you were more likely to be impacted by that event because where the city planners and city officials decided to build these working class districts happened to be in the places that were most at risk. And actually what happens is you end up with this system of whereby people who are in powerful positions aren't the ones who are really impacted by disasters at all. So this, this idea of vulnerability and exposure is really key to the entire argument of no natural disasters. Well, there you have it. After listening to this, please delete the term natural disaster from your vernacular. Kevin Blanchard, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for everything you're doing to change our opinion of disaster. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, great to speak to you. Thank you. So this interview was done on January 28th, 2022. And I think it really frames uh, the conversation around the importance of language and how it can really inform a paradigm shift. You know, it was interesting after this episode, I had to look up how Canada defines disaster again. And if that natural disaster term was used in any of our federal 
documents. And I, I am happy to report it is not, which is actually interesting because at the very top level, there is no mention of natural disasters. So yet another reason we should kind of follow suit. And it is nice to see that disaster is defined as essentially a social phenomenon, focusing on the vulnerabilities and the coping mechanisms, not just the hazard. Of course, hazards can be natural, but disasters are not. So I'm wondering, Jillian, have you experienced this in, in your work or where have you kind of seen the term natural disaster be used? I feel like natural disasters is definitely commonly used when we are reading the news. And I think it's also a term that we see favored by politicians and, and not saying that it's on purpose, but it's definitely just a common term. Yeah, I don't think any of this is malicious. You know, I don't think they're manipulating the term to try and avoid blame or avoid responsibility on purpose. I certainly hope that's not the case, but that is kind of the outcome in the end is it is that shifting of responsibility onto the victims instead of the people who are supposed to be preparing for disasters. And I've also noticed some equivalent terms pop up, you know, the idea of something being unprecedented or nobody saw this coming. These are all things I hear all the time. And I just don't think it's true. You know, there's a lot of precedents in the decades and centuries of history in Canada. And especially when it comes to things like the pandemic or other routine hazards, yeah, people saw it coming and and there was warning and there was time to prepare, but it, it didn't happen. Uh, and I think in part because we continue to think of disasters as something that happens to us, that is a natural part of uh, either society or the world, uh, as opposed to something that is unnatural and something that could be corrected. Let's say we got rid of the term natural disasters. What would that even mean for emergency managers, do you think? Um, I mean, there's a, there's a few things I think could happen here. One side of it is definitely that emergency managers would have to kind of bear a little bit more of the responsibility or at least kind of move a little bit more towards preventative work. But at the same time, I think it, emergency managers could benefit from making sure that we claim disasters and that we actually recognize them in the way that they uh, they truly are and that they are these things that we can do mitigation and prevention work for. And maybe that will, will also have impacts on resourcing and, and being able to resource some of the work that we absolutely need to do. There's one thing in the interview that I actually didn't agree with Kevin on, and that was that there's not a real need for the general public to change their language. And I think it would be very helpful if the general public provided that little bit of extra pressure to talk about disasters properly and started to, to force the conversation in, in that direction. So I think this is an applicable idea for emergency managers of all kinds, even if you are, a, quote unquote, a member of the general public. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think it it totally circles back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, when we use the terminology, no natural disasters, we kind of erase um, some of the, you know, social, uh, the political, the environmental and the economic context that, you know, are part of disasters, right? Which brings me to the tool of the trade. I took a peek at nonaturaldisasters.com and there is a fact sheet on there for journalists. I also think it's a great primer for anyone who's listening today. It does talk talk about some of these key points around why natural disasters is a problematic term and how we can 
try to phase it out and, and for what reason. So a lot of the great stuff that Kevin was talking about. There's also suggested tweets and there's also some uh, debunking of myths. So if you find yourself maybe a little unconvinced still, there's a few more FAQs and uh, you can explore a little bit further with further reading. I think there are a lot of examples out there in different disciplines where terminology carries weight and power and natural disasters is certainly turning out to be one of those words, especially in a world with so many disasters occurring and, and climate change accelerating. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. So delete that terminology from your lexicon uh, so we can all start talking about disasters a bit more accurately. A big thanks to Kevin Blanchard for sharing his time and expertise with us on the topic of disaster. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about their work, visit nonaturaldisasters.com. Happy Emergency Preparedness Week and thanks for listening. Just before we go, I do want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. This episode was brought to you in part by ATB Financial. Through ATB, you can donate to your favorite charities uh, in a program called ATB Cares. ATB Cares is a platform that allows you to donate and have your donation matched by ATB to further your impact. ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to Alberta non-religious charities to an annual limit of $360,000. Eligible charities may receive up to $5,000 in matching per year, and individual donations qualify for a maximum donation match of $500. Check out ATB Cares at atb.ca. This episode is also brought to you in part by the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. We'd like to feature a podcast called It's a Conspiracy, who's put together a quick clip for you, which I will play now. It's a conspiracy! All right. It's a Conspiracy is the podcast where we lay out the beliefs behind selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more. We do our best to present these without coloring them with our opinion until the end, where we let our feelings fly. We also do beer reviews, chat about geek culture, and whatever else strikes our fancy. Good times. And we're a part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go. The views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may belong to. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at username Epic Podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, Canadian. <laughs>